0: Welcome back everybody to the Ludinous Podcast. I am Aaron Thayer. I have a cold beer and joining me in this wonderful cold beer sharing is Nick
1: Cummings. It's good to share a cold beer. Yes. We actually have our own cold beers. They're separate. We're not sharing cold beers.
0: Well, I mean, there's not a problem with that if we did, but I'm glad you made that distinction.
1: I just like having my own beer. I mean, mm-hmm. I it's, it's nothing personal. That's not. But speaking of personal things, Nick... Yeah, uh, speaking of... <laughs> already nailing the segues in this episode. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: So this episode, uh, we want to talk about... And I'm going to raise this question before, before tossing it over to Nick to start. And to give a little bit of preface, we want to have a conversation about... I guess the, the core question it would be, and you can correct me here if this is not right, have games changed or have we? Looking at that, Nick, in terms of the other day... Just yesterday, actually, I went to a retro game store. Uh, it's off of, it's in Beaverton, Aloha area. For those not familiar with the area, okay. It's kind of a tiny, rundown little store, but it's great. Okay, well, I, I picture
1: tiny, rundown when I think game, retro game
0: stores. I've been yeah. to a few, so I definitely no disrespect because they have an awesome selection of games from, yeah, Jaguar, Super Nintendo, NES. Um, I mean, name a console. Do they have
1: that like? Ten button controller that the Jaguar had.
0: I think they did. Okay. A lot of it was I think behind it was cases, but you could buy yeah. stuff. They even have the original, ATAT from the Star Wars, uh, like nineteen eighties Empire Strike Back collection. So
1: okay, which doesn't actually com- fit with the game. It's just memorabilia, right?
0: Nerd memorabilia. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So you you show me a picture of what was it a CDI?
0: Yeah, they have the GEX CDI.
1: GEX on CDI. Now that is a that is a collector's item mm-hmm. right there.
0: So going into this store and seeing all of these artifacts of not just my childhood, because some of these things were before my time, be it the Ataris or whatnot, even some of the Nintendo NES games, we were just kids when those came out. Yeah,
1: I miss Gyromite. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) Going
0: in there, uh, it brought back to me a lot of of nostalgia, a lot of memories of the games that I loved growing up. Um, You know, PC games specifically for the ones I played a lot heroes of might and magic 2 playing hot seat multiplayer with friends yep um diablo the first diablo just these summers of being 10 11 12 that age and you know what else did you do in the summers Go outside. You go outside. Well, there was a combination. we do yeah. a trampoline thing outside, and then we come back in and play some of these these games.
1: Oh yeah, we used to go play ball tag, which I guess is yeah, a, I think we may have made up or maybe not. But
0: some physical activity. We just throw
1: shit at each other and then just go back inside and play Diablo <laughs> or Heroes Hot Seat or Worms Armageddon or something yep. and just have a grand old time. So
0: where where I feel now, and this is not a question of age, I think. Um, it's not a question of just taste change because we've gotten older and we have more responsibilities now. Um, I, I look back at my progression of what I've gotten out of and what I've wanted from a game changing since childhood into high school, into college, the college years. And now as in our late twenties. So my concern here is, are we, are we getting stuff out of games? Are we getting satisfaction out of games and gameplay? Um, in a different way because we've changed or has the industry itself just what they're offering has changed?
1: So let me, let me just try and back up for a second, put myself in your shoes yesterday. Mm-hmm. You're in this store. You said they have quite a great selection of games. Like you showed me some photos. They had like a immaculate selection of GameCube games with such luminaries as enter the matrix uh, in great supply. I think I saw uh, Def jam vendetta Simpsons road rage. Yeah. Some great, some great third party <laughs> gems on the wall, yeah. but I remember that era fondly. I remember looking back and thinking, that was back when they still had magazines I wanted to read about games. That was back mm-hmm. when I really followed the, followed those E3 press conferences very closely. I got, I wasn't necessarily in a camp of, this console is better than the other because I own it, because I was at that point lucky enough to have most of Speaking of, of that, but, just, just as yeah. an
0: aside, one of the employees in the store made a joke when somebody was coming in um, and, and talking about their Genesis, and he said it does what Nintendo don't. So that's the kind of level of nostalgia we're dealing was with. Was this There's someone some who people, worked there who yes, said that? Oh. Of remembering oh. these fabricated... Like uh, it's old
1: fast. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, right behind you, Aaron, I have yeah. a in a case, a Sega Game Gear that I found in my mom's garage the other weekend. Game Gear was great. The batteries still work. Uh, my copy of Batman Returns is still plugged into it, and it's still really bad. <laughs> uh, so, but you're... Putting myself in your shoes. You're in this store, you're seeing just all the selection. You got the ATAT, you've got the GameCube game, such an underappreciated console. And yet, did you walk out with anything?
0: No. And just over the last two years, I've sold all of my collection of old games, but a couple of choice items.
1: Yeah, I mean, I should probably do that too. I've got a I can see Mafia 2 on the shelf behind you right now, and like that was not a good game.
0: I was there with my friend, um, he was selling. Don't buy Mafia 2. (laughs) Well, I already already played it. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah. You liked it, as, <laughs> as liked I recall. Um, I was there with my friend. The whole purpose of going to the store was for him to sell some of his uh, old games. He had a Game Gear, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, I think Batman Returns on Genesis. Just old games, things he really wouldn't want to have kept anyway yeah. uh, to get some cash. And the first thing, this employee that also had mentioned the Nintendo reference to the era of Genesis versus Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that employee said, you know, memories are up for sale, man. And that kind of actually got me thinking about, hmm. while we're not talking about selling games and what sort of psychological Freudian stuff is involved in that.
1: What scars that leaves. Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> that's a separate conversation.
0: <laughs> but those memories that I have, I don't, I have not gone back and played Diablo 1 or Heroes of Might and Magic 2 Um but I still have fond memories and I still care about that and it was great to go through sort of a, an additional memory lane through this retro game store but I didn't want to buy anything I don't I don't I don't value that experience now in the present for pretty much all of those games so
1: you had like a, a forgive me for this but you had like a closing time moment
0: yeah. where you
1: realize you don't have to go home but you can't stay you in the store with stay. the genesis guy mm-hmm. saying whatever the hell he was saying which
0: in fairness to this this employee perhaps the owner I didn't talk to the individual sure. but you know that that's definitely catering to the right audience for a retro game store. You know, to stay oh, yeah. in business, you've got to you've got to play that game of this console sucked. Remember that, or this game. Oh is yeah, great. or John
1: Romero is about to make you very happy with this new game. Yeah, which something which is not what he said in the ad. Uh, but yeah, playing up that whole era of like the '90s, like the bombast and the ridiculousness. Remember the Play aloud campaign with the mm-hmm. Game Boys that were in color, not the Game Boy colors, but like the ugly green and red which left such game
0: such an impression on on our generation to sound dated that when the recent uh, um unveiling of the new uh, joker for the batman or the suicide squad <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the new we jared leto image of that for, we the, will. for the post if you haven't seen it so the the campaign nick's talking about was exactly that it was just Game Boys that were still at that point black and white as far as their graphic, their LCD displays, well, green
1: and green, gray, and gray, basically.
0: The portable Game Boy Pockets eventually were released in color versions, and some of those kids of our age that grew up in the nineties, you probably remember. Actually, standards. the original
1: Fat Game Boys were released in color too. They were. Yeah. Okay. I just remember the classic gray. Yeah, that that came out too. That was like, that was like the original eighty nine or something. I want to say there was like a red one and a green one, and they had like. They paired them with, like, for the right one, they had, like, a bottle of ketchup or something next to it. And it's like, now you can have a gameplay that looks like ketchup. And, like, that was compelling to nine year olds, I guess. Uh, I never the got
0: it. It was the Nokia cell phone equivalent in the gaming industry of customization. Of, also, you know, in terms get of get durability,
1: cool. those things did not break.
0: No. And you could yeah. get a cool faceplate for your nokia phone that was the 90s man you could customize your 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 uh, brick phone yeah and also get a customized game boy color that's yellow because it matches whatever your uh shoes are just where you're at
1: right now where you're at your jinko
0: jeans match
1: it's all about you it was god the 90s man so that (laughs) so yes a lot of
0: that nostalgia plays into i feel like we're
1: very into buzz buzz touchstones uh, was it Buzzfeed territory. Buzzfeed. How did it take me so long to remember Buzzfeed? Buzz Lightyear. We're yeah, we're very in a Buzz Lightyear territory, and we're just we're all stuck in cowboy outfits. So I think there are that's terrible.
0: In in bringing up this topic in this conversation, where would you where would you start with that In exploring your own nostalgia, exploring your own uh, memories or the cherished games that you played and how your tastes have changed from then to now, Nick? How how would you start to digest that or? is there a simple answer that, to that how mental damage yeah
1: yeah uh i am still struggling with that like i'm in a constant battle both materially and psychologically with like uh my lifelong adoration and obsession with games compared to the practicality and reality of existing as an adult with other interests it's not even like we were talking about this before the show but um Talking about like, for example, Final Fantasy was a big deal for both of us. Like, in Japanese mm-hmm. RPGs in general, from like the nineties to the early two thousands, many there were, people, yeah, yeah, and for many people, that was like, you look at Final Fantasy seven; that's a very meaningful game for a lot of people, and it was a, their first RPG often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought at the time, as a teenager, as a tween, even uh, that I would be playing these games forever. Like, mm-hmm. I saw that so much potential in the storytelling ability of the medium and the way that. Uh, meaningful gameplay hooks can evolve over the course of a game to keep you interested and to teach you things that I was like, man, this this medium's going places. I'm never going to stop playing these games because there's just so much amazing stuff that's going to happen with them. And I feel like that that amazing stuff is happening with games. Like no question, I think this is a great era for games. But I'm not going within ten feet of a JRPG these days. Even the ones I loved growing up, like I I bought Final Fantasy VII again on my Vita. I bought it on Steam. I have the PC version back from when Ida still had those t- horrible trapezoid boxes that you could buy them in. <laughs> um, Tomb Raider was an odd
0: shape to fit on your game shelf or in a bookcase.
1: Yeah, same with that Final Fantasy VII port they did. That was yeah. pretty pretty rough. Uh, that required a voodoo card, I think. Anyway, kids won't understand. But it so was I a wanna, different time. I want to ask you something, though. Yeah. In
0: talking about, as you said... I'm you felt you would be playing these games forever. I felt the same way. Yeah. And is that is that unique to gaming as a medium? Meaning so if you look at other established media and I think it's a fair comparison, music has its eras, movies yeah. have their eras. Books maybe yes, there are definitely trends that happen. Uh, after Harry Potter comes out, you see a lot of these serialized uh, multi-volume young adult explosion. Uh, in the market. But I feel what's different about games, at least for me, is the focus on technology dates many of those experiences. Yeah. And without a core gameplay hook that's, at, say, just the basic example of Super Mario or even Pac Man that is timeless, you can go back and listen to um, 60s pop music and appreciate that still. Just for example, or whatever. If your favorite era was New Wave music in the 80s, you will always appreciate New Wave music. The music doesn't really age unless it is just
1: crap but that's because you're you're tying it back to not just the the structure of the music itself but like what that what the era it came out of and what it meant to that era and vice versa so do
0: you think games are tied to their eras and maybe originally they are but are they more timeless and what stands as a good quality of a game what stands as a good memory of a experience you want to return to is all about gameplay or are there other factors involved as far as our taste, do those games that maybe still remain ageless keep impacting us and our tastes as we've gotten older as as game players? I think I
1: don't that, know if you can answer that. It's really tough because when I think about like the most the games that you can go back to, no matter when they were made, and they just still play like the the core experience, the quality of that just still shines through despite the time, they're they're few and far between. Like I think yeah. of Tetris on Game Boy is a great example of a game that. It had four colors, and it was a tiny little cartridge on a big, bulky machine, but it's still the best version of Tetris you can play, and It's I not think. as
0: dated as looking at somebody in bell-bottoms and knowing that's the 70s. You're right. You're watching a movie, and...
1: Yeah, I mean, like, you look at this, like, Soviet-era game running on an 80s piece of handheld technology that takes four double-A's, and you think, okay, yeah, things have changed a bit, but... The hook is still there. The hook is still there. That game is still powerful. That game is still very, very well-made. Yeah. And, um... It's tough because like, comparing that to the games that maybe had a big impact on me uh, as an adolescent, uh, some of those, the majority I would even argue, haven't really held up. Um, whether it's because the mechanics are rough, the graphics technology at the time was like maybe not up to snuff for the ambition, but we as as kids of that era saw the potential. We were already enthusiastic about the medium, and so we kind of filled in the blanks for that. A good example would be Metal Gear Solid, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we both... You played that, right, when you were yeah. a kid? Yeah, we both played that. Um, it was one of the reasons I got a PlayStation <clears throat>
0: originally in Final Fantasy
1: VII. It's a big part of why I got a PlayStation like almost after that, the PS2 came out. like right. I was like, I still need to play Metal Gear Solid. Uh, but that was a game that um, took advantage of the medium in some really amazing ways, where there were no like pre-rendered cutscenes. It was all in-engine, which yeah. looked pretty rough on the PS1, but because of the, the good, at the time, quality of animation and the extensive, relatively well-recorded um, dialogue; it all came together to create a very pretty compelling experience, wrapped in a at the time pretty unique uh, model stealth gameplay, stealth sure. action. And uh, going back to that game recently, I was struck by how how corny it all felt How, how cornball. You know this... what the
0: problem with it is? Yeah. Is I think that as games starting with something like Metal Gear Solid, or at least that generation of, of games, consoles, and development, is as they kept trying to approach a cinematic interpretation they dated themselves immediately. Yeah. Even something like the cutscenes that are in engine, that will be in that engine, and that engine will look dated in five years, right. especially 10, 15, 20 down the road. It's it's where it's where is weird, right? We were just yeah. talking about how something like Tetris can feel timeless or ageless because of the gameplay hook, Yeah. and it's pretty simplistic, but it's technology that doesn't age the same way that a musical style or a film style might... But yeah. then when you have too much of a reliance on technology and game development, it can date itself just as easily.
1: Yeah, like, it's kind of amazing, but um, I would argue that, um, let's look at, like, because I think Metal Gear is victim of this. Look at Zelda uh, A Link to the Past on Super Nintendo versus Ocarina of Time on N64. Mm-hmm. Uh, both very important games in a lot of ways, very influential games, both on the industry and the people making games and the people playing them Critically and growing defined. up around them. yeah, Both are considered, are, are often listed on like best game of all time lists mm-hmm. for good reason. They're very, very fun, even still. Uh, when I go back to play A Link to the Past, and this just could be me and my preference for the 16-bit era where i spent a lot of time as a kid really getting into games, I feel like the quality of that presentation, the way the music sounds, the way the colors and the visuals all come together, the way that the uh, gameplay hooks and loops feel as a player, the way that your, you know, things happen and you interact with that game. That still feels way more tight, consistent throughout than Ocarina does to me at this point, which um, Ocarina was a very early N64 game. I think it was like two years into the console's life, and that was one of the first quote-unquote 3D consoles. So uh, that game introduced concepts like Z-targeting, where basically locking on with a single button to move around in 3D space a single target. still still huge relevant
0: now it's still yeah in games
1: games still use that assassin's creed uses that still i mean it's it's a thing um but the technology there and the presentation as a result feels at odds with the ambition of the story where that game had some pretty sophisticated use of camera angles and cutscenes that were in engine but those character models the sound quality even and the frame rate all are looking by comparison very very rough now and i think that kind of is to the detriment of that experience which at the time was very compelling but now suffers as a result of that
0: you know what i was just thinking about this as you were mentioning those examples Um, i think that answers some of my questions as to why the industry this generation has been so preoccupied with remasters and um, almost reliving some of its past, even recent past. You know, yeah. uh, there was an announcement recently of a remastered Gears of War for Xbox One, and Gears of War One only
1: came out in two thousand and seven, two thousand six. Um, but God of War Three is getting an HD remaster, and, and that, was, that came out in two thousand and ten, I think.
0: Yeah, five years ago. Which...
1: Yeah, that, that, that game was already in HD. <laughs> yeah. So with Zelda too,
0: yeah, uh, a link between worlds that just came out the other year on the 3DS, that. Absolutely satisfied, all of the nostalgia I had for a link to the past on Super Nintendo, by really placating me, you know, by by updating and orchestrating the the original Zelda Link to the Past score. Yeah. By um, having better graphic interpretation of this 16-bit era, making it 3D and more colorful. And I think that's why I like that game so much. I think that that's a danger now of. People that are our age, in their late twenties, and that grew up in the '90s and a lot of these critically acclaimed classics from previous eras, you know, as we're getting older, maybe some publishers are just trying to go back to the well because they know it will satisfy. Or I, I don't know. I can't there are exactly posit. Yeah, but to get back to that, then, and some of the original points we were talking about. Are there games now that you feel satisfy you and your desires and what you want from a game in the same way that they did when you were younger and just thinking that the era of JRPGs would never end, you know? It was just a limitless um, utopia. Is there anything that actually does that for you now?
1: Like modern games? Or yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, those are games that I often tend to really latch on to are the ones that feel, like, fresh. They feel like this is a really exciting idea that I haven't really seen done well, and I really latch onto that. Like, a good example would be uh, Hotline Miami, which Uh is, you know, it looks very retro, and I think that for people who didn't grow up in a pixel art era, that might seem kind of, like, low budget or even kind of, like, half-assed. It's almost ironic, too. Yeah, it almost is, but that's a game with a really strange uh, narrative that actually fits the medium quite well, and with gameplay that, um, while it rewards kind of that kind of classic Twitch skill set it also really is it feels different it plays like a game i haven't really played before and like i'm, I'm playing through the sequel right now and um even that feels like it, it builds on the first in a meaningful way so what's
0: that what's that feeling what's different about it
1: about the sequel or about,
0: about both okay well how do they feel different from what else is out there
1: uh i think it's because they every part of that game is it exudes confidence in its concept like mm-hmm it's a game that doesn't hold your hand and explain the details of its narrative. I just got the true ending of Hotline Miami 1 before I started up the sequel, and even that was kind of like, okay, I know a little bit more about why this happened, but it's not going to explain all the details of, like... It's not going to say, okay, so that's why the title screen's written in Russian. Yeah. Or, you know, those things like that. There's
0: no nice little bow on no. the entire games. Yeah.
1: No, it makes you think. Like, any good piece of uh, work that's created for critical critical consumption, it makes you think. I'm not going to say it's like a P.T. Anderson movie in game form because it's very much (laughs) not. It's more like Drive than anything else. But uh, it's uh, it knows... I think that's what really makes it meaningful to me is it knows its limitations and it knows the limitations of the medium. And it works within them to create something that is going to challenge the player. Not just in terms of the difficulty of physically creating accomplishing the actions to win, but in terms of piecing together the experience and your role in it. I think those are the kind of games that still feel fresh. And that's... Honestly, I could apply that same logic to when I first played Final Fantasy II as like a six-year-old, and just you know, teaching myself basically how to read by playing these games. Like mm-hmm. to read well, I like, to learn concept like words and complex words and like concepts and understanding that this is a medium for um, telling a story beyond just jump on Goomba, and get head. So it doesn't
0: level. sound like really what you're getting out of games that you enjoy has changed much, then.
1: I don't think so. And like, look at like that game company's games or Team Ico's games. Like, those are all games. What
0: games do they?
1: Um, so that game company, they made uh, Flow and Flower and Journey. These are like kind of high concept but very approachable mm-hmm. games that uh, de-emphasize. Yeah, they they have almost no language in them whatsoever. It's almost all just expressive uh, and kind of emotive experiences. Same with Team Ico's games. So they made Ico, which is where the name comes from. Uh, which is a game where you are actually like holding someone's hand through an entire world, trying to help them escape from some sort of horrible thing. I never yeah. actually quite finished it, unfortunately. And Shadow of the Colossus, which has been called just a game about killing bosses, but it's actually a game of a lot of introspection and a lot of uh, really kind of heavy concepts about the role of the player in a game and like what what where culpability lies for your actions. Uh, so games that. Like, these are always concepts that have appealed to me, even when I was too young to maybe put them in such, like, overwrought language, <laughs> but... Right, yeah. But I think that's that's actually the through line, and I think those games still exist, it's just that they're coming from different places than they used to. I don't know, what, what would you say for you is, like, the, the common thread? Or if you had to, like, pick games from now, what are the ones that really appeal to you in a meaningful way?
0: <clears throat> I know that I, I keep chasing the general open world promise in games um, be it just cause grand theft auto uh, the witcher 3 that's coming out games that appeal to me allow me the freedom to make my own narratives to role play in a way um you know all games that were you and you're inhabiting a character's life you're doing that but not all of them actually are self-referential or uh, they they don't really reference or aren't self-aware of that um
1: so would red dead be a good example of that
0: yes and red dead i love and i played so much of because i could i felt the freedom to explore a, a really well done world a very cohesive and beautifully drawn and programmed and um created world of a wild west desolate um dangerous Turn of the century land, and that was exciting. But that wasn't a, that wouldn't have been enough to make me interested in the game, where I could just ride on horseback and rob stage coaches or take down bandits, and um, the gameplay was flexible enough to allow me to do that. Um, I didn't, I, I couldn't do these. Um, what what's the term for it? Emergent or narratives? Kind of is that like the, the Minecrafts
1: or Daisy type games?
0: Yes, the games that allow that, but also still have some sort of limitation. Okay. I've said before to other people that games like Minecraft and DayZ are too open for me, mm-hmm. that that amount of freedom, too much of it, confuses me or just overwhelms me, and I just don't feel engaged in the experience because I don't know where to start, you know. Yeah. Unless you have somebody holding your hand as a cooperative experience.
1: But there's also, like, no real. There's no message from an author in those games. Like, you could infer, Mm -hmm. like, how it was put together, especially I know a lot about the history of Minecraft because I followed its development very closely from Alpha State. Mm -hmm. So I see that and I think, oh, this is when Notch thought about doing this thing, or here's when, um, I forget the guy that now develops it, but, like, you know, when they passed this over, here's when he started implementing these features that Notch never did. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's no, like, through line of, you're not given a, a role to inhabit. You're basically just a, a, generic avatar in this sandbox and you are going to play with it and mm-hmm. those experiences are yours but at the same time i think that robs the game of the opportunity to have a message to to create a through yes. line between author and reader or
0: that's it. that's what i want i want a guided yep. experience but still a uh, a crafted experience that that allows me to explore its world without some limitation. Right. The games that I cherish the most, even something like Heroes of Might and Magic 2 as I mentioned Diablo, uh, Mario 64 yeah, um, Link to the Past, where there was a clear end goal or there was a clear narrative something to accomplish but how I got about that and how I did that was really up to me
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and the games that I chase now and am excited for are the games that keep I guess replicating that and find new ways to make it interesting so I think that's what I've always wanted from a game and I guess it sounds like between the both of us we really haven't exactly changed what we want from games with age it's just that the games that maybe satisfy those needs have changed.
1: Yeah I think that's the one thing we didn't anticipate is that it's not just that we are our priorities are changing and that game technology is advancing, it's that mm. games mm. themselves, even though they are static things on like physical media, or they used to be, but <laughs> I digress. Back uh, in our day. Yeah. Got rows of discs and cartridges <laughs> and batteries Loppies. and EROMs yeah. and yeah, whatever. I don't even know what the hell an EPROM is, but uh yeah, yeah, those those have changed, despite the fact that they're static objects. Like because of the context of the era we live in now, um, we see them differently. We can't help it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, this is going to be an ongoing topic for a very long time in the games industry of, like, should they, you know, should they recolor, add color to Metropolis? Would that make it a better movie? Yeah. Uh, should uh, the Aeneid be retranslated into more colloquial prose than, like, this, you know, highly revered and respected but 70-year-old version that I read in college or something? You know, things like that.
0: And where does it border on parody, in a way, too, of the whole uh, jane austen and zombies yeah s- the pride and, prejudice and zombies, yeah. yeah i mean is that is that parody is that appropriating for a new generation that gives appreciation to those novels and the, yeah. I, I don't i don't know
1: or ryan north's to be or not to be the uh, the hamlet choose your own adventure book which is actually quite good
0: the star wars uh, uh putting star wars into shakespearean language that was a huge um, publication. Oh, I
1: should have checked
0: that out. They, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I forget who put it together, but I saw these in Barnes and Noble a okay. couple of years ago. Yeah. But yeah, it was a translation of the whole original trilogy into Shakespearean language. Like a five
1: act play? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so,
0: I mean, maybe it goes beyond games and not to try to um, definitively say where our culture is and where we're going, but looking at it, I do see more from our generation a bit of um, sarcasm or uh, reappropriation of classic themes and narratives to try to... And that happens every single generation. Sure, yeah. But where we're doing it now is it's it's almost sarcastic, but it's appreciative and it's reverent to history. And I guess that's coming through in games too uh, with re-releases. But, yeah. But yeah, I think you wrap that up really well in terms of where we're at, with games and it's not just because we are adults with obligations that changes perhaps how much free time we have to interact with these games and play everything we want to but what we're looking for in these experiences really hasn't evolved that much and I think that that's a good thing because um, you know we're still seeking out what's going to please us and not just playing whatever popular games there are just to be part of a conversation yeah um, which would just make me upset, you know, and wouldn't satisfy me as a player of games. But
1: yeah, I, I guess tell I, you that's not a good path to walk as no. someone who just finished Assassin's Creed Unity. Yeah, didn't. What did you think of that? It sucked. Yeah, I
0: was a little disappointed too.
1: Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, should we take a quick break? Yeah, cool. Break let's, time. Let's do that. And we're back. Uh, So for this segment, we're just going to talk a little bit about the uh, games that have been on our radar lately, and uh, hopefully share some useful insights out of that, or at least uh, some cautionary tales, especially when it comes to games made by Ubisoft starring people with hidden blades. But first, uh, Aaron, uh, you're playing this game that I'm quite excited to check out, but I I hear you're not really digging it so much. This is uh, Wolfenstein The Old Blood, which is a sort of standalone semi-expansion to Uh, Last year's Wolfenstein The New Order, which was an unexpectedly great, I thought, return to form for an old franchise. So what's up with uh, the old blood?
0: So what happened is last year's The New Order did a great job of making fun of itself and the genre of shooters, making fun of the pedigree of Wolfenstein, how ridiculous it was and is, how gory it is, just shooters are dumb. I mean, that's kind of the general perception. That was the thesis, yeah. Um, Shooters are dumb, but you can still have fun with them. So New Order did that fantastically, executed it on all fronts, had had a great time playing through it. Yeah. Old Blood, for whatever reason, doesn't fire on all cylinders because it just does what Wolfenstein did in the past. It feels like you're just playing through... Uh, almost a retelling of Wolfenstein by going to the castle. You mean Wolfenstein 3D, like
1: the original? Yeah, even Return to
0: Castle Wolfenstein for the early 2000s. Um, You're just there, and you're killing Nazis again, and compared to the New Order, where there is an element of flash-forward into the future where the Nazis have ruled the world and they're technologically advanced and you go to space and all this ridiculous stuff happens. You meet Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh under in your London uh, or was it in the UK I think?
1: I actually don't know. I I picked the other guy so I never got to see Jimi Hendrix, but oh,
0: Okay, I didn't I still haven't played through on the other when somebody in the beginning of New Order dies, you have a choice to choose who dies, and then yeah. the story diverges from there. Yeah, uh, I believe it's the London Resistance Underground is a kind of group of people that have fought the Nazi occupation since World War Two, and this alternate history where they won and they've they ruled the world.
1: What do you mean alternate history?
0: <laughs> yeah, this uh, this episode brought to you by uh,
1: conspiracy theorists. Conspiracy, um, but yeah, so it's it's more of like that old. So we were just talking about you know, New Order games. was fresh. Yeah. And so, like in the context of our previous discussion, um, is it that Wolfenstein 3D's model of gameplay doesn't hold up like it used to, and the new order find a way to make why. it relevant?
0: That's the problem. Is I don't see. I don't see why they needed to almost remake the classic Wolfenstein. Um, short of maybe there being overconfidence or cockiness with the success of the New Order. Hmm. I'm sure the Old Blood is being developed in, uh, in conjunction with the New Order at a certain point. I don't imagine that they turned around in a year. Maybe they did because they had all the same assets, practically. Um, but there wasn't... In playing through it, I haven't finished Old Blood. Yeah, It's a $15 or $20 expansion, so it's not a full-price game. Okay, So I think you can be a little bit easier on it in that context. But there was really no need to make that they're not doing anything new other than machine games of the developers proving that they could recreate a classic wolfenstein
1: but didn't they kind of in a funny way already do that with uh the new order when there was that there's this little sequence where those are back oh okay so for those of you listening there's a sequence this is like a minor spoiler maybe but i'm sure you've heard heard about it if you're interested uh you can fall asleep in a certain bed in your bunker area Mm -hmm. and when you do that you wake up in the first level of Wolfenstein 3D with like the same the classic graphics, the enemies, all this stuff. You can eat dog food. It's all there, and um, it, you just play through the first level in this kind of new engine, but it looks very much like the old game. So, yep. uh, I thought it was kind of strange that they would go back after showing like, oh yeah, we when we understand our roots, we appreciate them. They even called it a nightmare level, which I thought was very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it almost feels like to go back and make almost like a. A spiritual successor or retelling of that first game, which it sounds like this first half of the Old Blood is, it feels kind of like in- inconsistent with their tone.
0: Yeah, i I agree. I think that this was created just. I, I'm not thinking of it maliciously, like it was just a cash grab, but yeah, no. it was done because the developers, maybe they just they could, I guess. Yeah, it it didn't need to be made. Um, it's still satisfying from just a basic shooter. But that's that's the problem, is Old Blood feels like a typical basic shooter, whereas the New Order, while it was a shooter and yeah. it did shooter things... Very much so. ...its story and its presentation was very fresh, and it, re- it invigorated the Wolfenstein franchise that had been so dormant and pretty much dead. Um, the yeah. Old Blood, if that had released first and that was the full game... I don't think that uh, machine games really would have been successful no. um, because they technologically can make it look and feel like Wolfenstein, but updated. They do a good job with their engine and their assets and their voiceover and whatever, but the old blood is just uh, its treading the same ground, Yeah. so it's not as satisfying.
1: I think, uh, just to wrap this up, uh, what made the New Order so interesting and unusual to me that I kept playing the whole way through... Uh, was how they managed to humanize this kind of walking, one-dimensional joke of a character of the protagonist, B.J. Blazkowicz, which was like, you know, basically just a guy who looked around in a little portrait window in Wolfenstein 3D at the bottom of your menu bar to indicate how much health he had.
0: A walking neck and torso. A beefcake, basically. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and they took this character, put him in a coma for like 15 years, you wake up, and like, suddenly he's a fish out of water in this like Mm -hmm. alternate 60s era, and it worked so well to take, like, not just this character, but this whole model of games and, like, this era we grew up on of, like, these fast, twitchy shooters and, like, saying they can still be relevant, but times have changed and here's how they've affected that. And I thought that was a really smart, unexpectedly smart commentary from the Yeah, game. it was
0: a way to, to um, go back to World War II shooters, but not make them another World War Two historical shooter. Yeah. It was to have an alternate history and be ridiculous. And yeah. what if the Nazis were on the moon? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It had it had a great mastery of tone and understanding of what I was saying to the audience. And I think that it sounds like the problem with old blood is it doesn't really have that in the same way.
0: Not from what I've seen and I've played, you know, three or four hours of it. And I believe it's an eight hour experience. So Yeah.
1: I've heard the second half is is funnier and more unusual, but I don't want to spoil anything about that.
0: Well, there. I mean, the, the the funniest part was in the beginning when you're undercover going mm-hmm. into Castle Wolfenstein, trying to infiltrate that, mm-hmm. and um, the elements of self-referential and stupid humor shine through in this. You're detained at a checkpoint, and you, being B.J. Blazkowicz, can't speak German, so you're basically told by your your or your fellow agent, just don't talk. Um, but you're detained, uh, detained, and they ask where you're from and um oh from frankfurter like oh you know <laughs> what like I, it's something about a hot dog it's a hot dog joke because a frankfurter right in germany so they laugh about that and then they make fun of americans for saying hot dog instead of frankfurter so that's stupid but it was amusing and then it just stops and then you're just shooting nazis again for the rest of the first half
1: yeah I mean, that game was fine at shooting stuff. Like, I love that that game was like, you know, screw this two-weapon alternating switching thing. We're going to give you eight guns, and you can hold two of them at a time no yeah. matter what gun they are. Like, that was that was funny and great, but I don't think that's enough to prop up a game No, that's just more of that. Even so. An expansion. So that's too bad. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts when you finish it, but it mm-hmm. uh, sounds like it's it's all right. It's just it's missing a little bit of the spark.
0: We'll see if I finish it once The Witcher 3 comes out next week.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it's not out yet, but as someone who played a lot of the first two games, uh, and with reviews starting to roll out, and some pretty, like, I I know better than the trust review aggregators for whether or not to buy a game, I learned that lesson with Dragon Age last year, but there's some stellar reviews coming out for The Witcher 3, like, Mm -hmm. better than any of the previous games got, so based on what you know about the game and your own expectations leading into it, uh, and I guess your attachment to the character in that world... uh, what's what's your sense at this point like i know it's silly to ask are you excited for this game you (laughs) pre-ordered but like i already bought it so yeah yeah. but like really like how do you feel about it right now like you think it's going to deliver on what you want
0: um i hope it does i don't know if it will but if they the the whole bent of this sequel to the witcher is its open world um element and we talked about that before the break a little bit where What I've been looking for are those open-world narratives that still have some sort of direction and structure, yeah. and yet they allow me the freedom to explore and and do relevant and interesting and fun things within that freedom. Um, So my hope is The Witcher 3 does that. It builds on the strength of the political, non-world-saving narrative of Witcher 2. You being Geralt, this enhanced mutant demon and beast slayer hero you are more of an anti-hero you're not just saving the world from danger like every fantasy trope yeah um you're involved with things like uh kingdom and political elements and assassinations and
1: yeah the And the that's, second that's game was called assassins of kings so yeah there was a lot of books those things in that game
0: it's had there have been a lot of comparisons it's a um I believe Polish no- novel series, yeah. fantasy series, before it was turned into a game with the first Witcher. Um, and I haven't read any of those translated books or anything, but I think that there are comparisons to Game of Thrones or that kind of dark fantasy.
1: I've heard that. I read a short story that came bundled with the first game, and I thought it was actually really compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've seen the intro video for the first game, this is really esoteric for most people, but I know you have, Aaron. So yeah. uh, it's a short story about that exact video you see, of like the the princess whatever, who turns into this monster and he goes in to, like, purge the curse. Yeah. Um, It's a great, great piece of short fiction. So I'd actually love to read the books more than anything.
0: So that's my concern. My hope is they they have found CD Projekt Red, the developers have found a way to balance the density of this lore and this mythology that's coming from um, the Witcher novel series. And they did a great job in the last two games. But being able to balance that denseness with now you have a real big gameplay focus that almost the gameplay and this open world element and the freedom and the exploration and the technology is overshadowing what was a, uh, a fantasy story before. Right. Um, that th- my concern is that they've just focused so much on that it's not going to really pay off. But again, as we said, we don't really trust reviews or just use that as our only guiding principle. But if reviews coming out now are, you know, Ten out of ten, or you should buy this game. It's so
1: great. Exploding Game Pro Guy has yeah. <laughs> Scary Larry says it's a can't miss game. Again, uh, I'm dating myself constantly on this yeah. show.
0: <laughs> if they found a way to make that type of experience engaging and uh, able to be sustained over a hundred or sixty to hundred hours, which is the expected completion time, at least for the the general completion time, which good god, if you can sustain that and make it better than. You brought it up, Dragon Age, Inquisition. I said it. Um, a game that didn't do a great job, in my opinion as well, of introducing its open world, of making that something you actually want to care about after hour 50 of the game. Yeah. If The Witcher can overcome that that hurdle that really Dragon Age succumbed to, then it will be a fantastic, amazing, uh, memorable, perhaps legendary game. I mean, I don't want to be... A, putting too much hyperbole there but yeah that has been the problem with a lot of open world games right yeah especially in the fantasy genre
1: well it's 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 because it's compromised the message of the game right yeah. like you know to tie it back again conveniently to the first segment uh those games that hold up are the ones that have a very consistent tone and message where the the core experience uh is complemented by and not you know just merely compatible with the, there are peaks
0: and valleys of yeah. the engagement too. It's giving right. you enough to keep you sustained, but also not just holding your hand throughout the entire experience. You're right. finding your own way. You're finding interesting things to do. Right. But not every game does it do does a good job of that. Just making an open world doesn't give player agency and solve all the problems of having a massive world.
1: Right. And I think that's something like you know we can talk about this another time. But that's something that like games that i revered like the early bethesda uh like oblivion not the earliest maybe but like you know those earlier rpgs they did or even fallout 3 Mm -hmm. i think it's why they haven't held up as well too is because that they were novel for that freedom but the lack of hand-holding results in kind of just these duller uh less interesting worlds in hindsight so uh it sounds like the witcher 3 is driven by a very character-centric narrative which could actually be a saving grace for making that game if it turns out great um to make it relevant in years to come. So, let's hope. Uh, And just to wrap up here, since I know we're hitting the limit, uh, on my end, I just finished Assassin's Creed Unity, and uh, the less I say about that game, the better. In fact, uh, the most substantial thing I have to say about it is that I finished it, and I couldn't tell you anything about uh, the character names or why I was doing what I was doing or how it had anything to do with any relevance to the backdrop of the French Revolution where this game is taking place. So uh it you know if you like those games that's fine i don't mean to to rag to rag on you but as someone who saw a lot of potential in the series uh i don't know why i keep playing them
0: well other assassin's creeds have done a better job of of curating the history and making it worthwhile yeah Uh, and at the forefront of your entire storyline yeah I, i totally agree when i finished unity i didn't really understand anything more about the french revolution
1: all I knew is that guy had a piece of Eden sword and I got it when I killed him and yeah. I was like, and at least all right,
0: Elise's hair looked great.
1: Elise's hair did look great, especially the lighting around it. like I kept pointing it out to Nay, I was like oh my God, look at her hair. <laughs> like this game is shitty, but look at her hair. it's this just
0: bright red curly yeah. hair that probably is why the game was notorious for its issues. when it launched last November is the new engine that uh, Ubisoft built for the specifically specific for Elise's hair for at least hair
1: also for the indoor environments but yeah. the hair is a standout feature like it's just it's crazy cool uh yeah that is you know actually one thing i want to say about that game go for it it's immaculate to look at like the environments you're in, uh, exploring the indoor like the regal kind of uh houses of state where you 1-8. go in yeah the dressing the gilded everything that all this stuff it's beautiful to look at, but the game is designed in such a way that you are never stopping to look at stuff. You have to keep moving. You have to keep watching your corners. Mm-hmm. You can't appreciate like the backdrops because you're constantly being... There's always this risk of, oh, shit, I'm going to accidentally trigger a guards the line of sight, and then we're in this crappy combat system that somehow got worse <laughs> for yeah. this game, by the way. And it makes me think, like, You know, it's a real shame that there's this amazing, amazing art direction at a company like Ubisoft with so many people making these games. And there's no... These games aren't built to appreciate that. And I think it's a real shame because, like we talked about this before, the draw of those games for us really is the historical backdrop. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really hope that they have the courage at some point to take a step back and say, is a game about stabbing people in the neck from behind really the best vehicle to create compelling experiences that are steeped in this very uh, thorough kind of historical recreation we're doing. So those are my thoughts on Assassin's Creed Unity. Uh, I, I wish it had done anything to be be a meaningful game in so, a series context. Okay,
0: so last question then. Yeah. Do you have any hope for the recently, officially announced uh, next Assassin's Creed game?
1: Assassin's Creed Syndicate?
0: Syndicate, which is set in Victorian London.
1: It is. Uh, once I learned that it's actually not a Syndicate reboot in disguise, the uh, old bullfrog strategy game, uh, I kind of lost interest. Uh, actually, no, I lost interest when I saw the trailer and I heard, like, the kind of New Metal soundtrack and saw that <laughs> the trailer is just two minutes of you in slow motion, then fast motion, then slow motion. You know what that technique they always do of, like, the punch is coming in really slow, and then it connects, yeah. and the guy flips back, and then it goes slow motion and hits <laughs> the ground. And it's just like, this guitar It's just like... it Sounds like a lot of scenes
0: from the um, um, Robert Downey Jr. Um, Sherlock movies. Oh I never
1: saw those, but yeah, I saw the trailers. Uh yeah. I think he would like the pain and gain trailer. <laughs> if you remember that movie. Yeah. Uh it's like just a lot of those like fast to slow things. Uh fast and furious movies do this a lot too. Right. Uh yeah, it just looks like a bunch of people beating the crap so don't out think of the They Victorian learned their lesson from last years. year with Unity. No. Yeah. I based on that trailer, the tone is off. There's the reverence for history is gone. Like, yeah, I understand that there's a bit more romanticism to uh, Renaissance Italy than there is to Victorian-ass but London. But you can
0: still introduce a protagonist that isn't a, a, douchebag? a douchebag that nobody gives a shit about.
1: Yeah, it's another douchebag protagonist, as best I can tell. And, like, great. If people want that, go for it. I have lost interest, and it's a real shame that the series has gone that direction. So,
0: Well, speaking of lost interest...
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's time to end this podcast. <laughs> okay uh but thank you uh once again aaron for joining me uh real quick just to plug we'd love to hear from you guys uh if you have any questions for us that you'd like to hear read on the air and watch us stumble through them uh you can email us at ludonist@gmail.com. at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you uh aaron until next time where can people find you
0: well you can always find me at aaron Thayer on Twitter. Um, that is probably the best way to reach me because I don't really accept Facebook friends these days.
1: Don't I accept, don't accept who does. I don't. Yeah,
0: I don't Snapchat. I don't Gram. Instagram for the kids that might not know. You're
1: not on Tinder.
0: <laughs> I uh, I have my own website, AaronThayer.net, where I have a bunch of non-ludeness related work. So you know, I I guess I would plug that to say, hey, check out my my technical writing portfolio. I read your
1: and piece on uh, ebook readers. Was that?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I posted that the other day. So yeah.
1: I'm trying to put stuff out there. Yeah. You should read that. You should read it. It's a good history on ebook readers. If you were ever wondering, I'm not going to. ebook subscription services. Subscription are services. Out there. Yeah. yeah. I still haven't signed up for one because I there's this thing called a library, and you can get ebooks through that for free. Yeah. It's really good. You should check it out.
0: And speaking of checking out, where can people check you out in a non creepy way?
1: <laughs> also, not on Tinder. Um, yeah. What's uh, your Tinder profile, Nick? Yeah, it's... well, you know, there's only one way to swipe on that. Yep. I don't actually know how Tinder works. Uh, I'm
0: up, on Twitter. Is it up or down? Is
1: it... It's diagonal. It's <laughs> it's it's a Konami code. You just yeah. again dating yeah. myself. Ha, get it? Because Tinder. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Nick Cummings. I'm so sorry for that last segment. Uh, and is uh, that a segment now <laughs> or
0: Tinder? Yeah, we have
1: <laughs> it's our new recurring Tinder segment yeah. for the kids. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll come back to that. Uh, I play games as YMOG, W-H-Y-M-O-G. Feel free to shoot me a friend request on any of those. Just don't stalk me on social media because that's creepy. And uh, actually, I don't know. I guess it's not creepy. It's just how life is.
0: It's, it's reality now.
1: Yeah, that's why my Twitter profile is public. It's like, you know... People are going to find out what a weirdo I am anyway. Why not just put it out in the open? Yeah. You guys if you're listening re-
0: to this, you already understand that.
1: Exactly. You can go look at my top ten list of final boss rock band and guitar hero songs that I itemized recently. Which, by the way, I feel really strongly about. And, uh, yeah. In the meantime, please, you know, thank you for listening. Please uh, check us out on your podcast consumption platform of choice. Whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio. We're uh, on Overcast. SoundCloud. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're on everything. We're we're on everything. We're we're available
0: to you, and like Nick said, we're here for you. Let's not understate. Please send any questions or information, ideas, whatever, to ludnist at gmail. We do do want to hear from people.
1: Yeah, especially this early on. You know, it's early in the show's lifespan. We want to make sure we're making a great show that you guys enjoy, that you want to keep listening to. So, any feedback, good or bad, we want to hear it. We appreciate it. So, uh, until next time, Aaron. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you, Nick. And uh, we will be back next week.